You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We pray and hope that the message that you are about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Team, take your Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter number 1. So we start a new series this week entitled Jesus. Jesus. And uh, I believe that uh, God will use this series in your life and in the life of our church, honestly, as much as you allow Him to. And uh, I love, I love the, uh, these core values of our church has really, it's been there for all these years, but uh, to begin to articulate those to you, and uh, we will do so on a regular basis, just trying to remind us of, of why we're here uh, as a uh, body of believers. And one of the things I would encourage you with, uh, that, that, that idea of community kind of is just, uh, it, it's just who, it's who we are, uh, really does branch out beyond the four walls of this place. I think you all know this. If not, let me remind you. This is not the church. This is simply just a building. You all are the church. Born-again believers in Christ, you make up the church. And so when we, when we walk out these doors into our, our kind of local communities that God has placed us in, uh, remember that we're, that, that we're one in Christ, but that there's this, there's this local body. So, for example, today we're missing quite a few families. And so what if I could encourage you to do is, those of you that have been here for any length of time, uh, you, you kind of you know who's here and who's not. But make, make mental notes of that. And uh, maybe throughout the week, you would say, hey, I want you to know that I missed you. Or if nothing else, then next, time, next week when you do see them, let them know, hey, I missed you last week. And uh, often they, they expect the pastor to do that. They expect uh, you know, my staff to do that. But often when it comes from kind of just the ins and the outs, working of the ministry of the people... And it's just great, great impact. And so I'd really, I'd really like us to really flesh that out in 2019 to be uh, cognizant of the people that He has placed around us in this church. And we can love one another and do so in grace and all of the, all of the beautiful things that, uh, that we express. Mark chapter number 1. Hopefully you found it by now. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 of Mark chapter 1 as we start this series in simply entitled, Jesus. We see in the first verse there the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, and latchet of the, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. 
I've entitled this first message of this series that we will be in for many, many months as we go through the book of Mark, entitled, The Beginning of the Gospel. The Beginning of the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for this book that You have so ministered to me over the last several weeks of my life. And God, I pray that, Lord, what You have placed on my heart throughout the series would be able to be articulated, but Lord, more specifically, the next 30 minutes or so, that God, You'd help me to articulate what's in these verses for us today. And God, I don't want to make this in any way about me. I want this simply to be about You and Your Word. I pray, Lord, that as Your Son Jesus is high and lifted up this morning, as we have clearly sung about, we've sung about uh, His blood and His name and how stronger that God, You would be get all the glory for what is, takes place today. Lord, I pray You would break through some of the callousness in our minds and in our hearts here this morning. And God, just I want to hide behind Your Word. And Lord, I pray that You'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you are a rational human being, and no doubt you are, you've asked thousands upon thousands of questions in your life. From the earliest moments you were learning to talk and learning to discover the universe around you, you asked questions to your parents. Sometimes they were, they, they, they were crazy questions, but they often would be the questions of like what and why and how and when and where and so forth. And every answer was followed by another question. You remember that when uh, you maybe if you have children when they were when they were little children, they always would ask a question. You'd give them a glowingly parently answer, and then they would ask another question that would follow up after that. But to be honest with you, you have not stopped asking questions. Sometimes you ask very deep questions, theological questions, in moments of confusion or pain. Sometimes you wander about physically or, 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 or psychologically. Sometimes you just ask questions that are just plain out of irritation, like why is there always traffic when I go to work? Or how about this one? Why can I never understand IKEA directions? Can I get an amen? Anybody? Man, I'll be honest with you. I pull out the box. I think my wife's working down in the nursery today. I'm like, babe, can you please decipher these? I can never put them together. But I, why can't you make them easier? Why is there nothing to eat? Whatever those questions that you and I, even as adults, still tend to ask. But I want you to think with me for a moment. What do you think is the most important question that you've ever asked? The most important question. It's been said that insightful people are not people with the right answers. They are people that have the right questions. And perhaps there are no more important questions than the three questions that are asked as well as answered by the book of Mark. The first question that is asked in the book of Mark is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? There's another question that is asked, why did Jesus come? Why did He come? And what does it mean to follow Him? Who was Jesus? Why did He come? And what does it mean for me? And what does it mean for you to be a follower 
of Jesus. The book of Mark is probably the earliest of all of the Gospels. Mark answers these questions not so much in a theological way or a philosophical way, but in putting before you the life and ministry of Jesus. There are many narrative passages uh, that are in the Scriptures, but there's probably no one book that is purely more narrative than the book of Mark. Mark does not make any main editorial comments like Luke does. Luke will often uh, even look at the, uh, the kind of the, the medical side of things. He will often give you like the drippy details of maybe like even when Jesus was on the cross, very, uh, very descriptive uh, because of his physician background. He doesn't record the lengthy teachings that, uh, of Christ that Matthew would. Matthew's book is much longer uh, in nature, and it gives you a lot more uh, commentary, a lot more detail. What Mark does is he puts in front of you again and again and again the person of Jesus Christ. Until for you, and until for me, we can no longer be neutral. You have to respond to who Jesus is. You have to respond to what He has done. You have to respond. The book makes you respond to what He says about you and what He says about me. You have to decide whether or not you're going to follow Him. You have to face the reality of His cross. You cannot be neutral and read the Gospel of Mark. I love the beautiful way that, that He tells the story of Christ and how it confronts the way that you think about yourself. It confronts your deepest needs, your deepest dreams. It confronts everything you would think about your world. And how does He do that? By putting before you Jesus. Page after page after page is the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. These 12 words, as they are translated in English, verse number 1, cannot be more radical. The, 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 he launches the immediate and declaration of the identity of the Lord. I would argue that these 12 words cut a slice right down the middle of all humanity. Because there's only two classes of people, really, that are living on earth. People who believe these radical 12 words and people who do not. And if you believe them, they will change everything that you think about yourself. They will change everything about the way that you live your life and your hopes and your dreams. And if you do not believe the first 12 words of chapter 1 of the book of Mark, if you think they're ridiculous and delusional and not worth the paper that they are printed on, there's only those two groups of people. You either believe them or you don't. Now I think this morning, hear me, because we are so theologically astute or because we know so much, because we've got the rest of the story, because we've got Romans and Galatians and the Corinthians and Colossians and so on and so forth, I think we, we, miss under, we, we forget how radical these words would have been to somebody in the time that they were being written. Or the time that they would have been being spoken 
at that first century church, the very beginning of, uh, of Jesus' ministry with His disciples, they would have been radical words that were being expressed. Verse number 1 says, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Many commentators, they, they say the way that this Gospel begins alludes back to the way that the Bible begins. Back in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. There is a way in which Mark here in this text is saying what I'm about to tell you. The story that I am about to introduce to you. The person I am going to begin to display on the pages of this Scripture has a fundamental and seismic implications just like creation did. In God. In the, in the moment created the, the world out of nothing. In that same sense is Spiritual creation that happens in Christ. This recreation, just as powerful as that original creation would be, this recreation that Jesus Christ was going to bring. This is God remaking His world through Christ. This is the awesome new beginning. This is what the world has been longing for, has been praying for. This is what the world has hungered and needed. God is going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with the, the brokenness of the world. He's going to answer all of the dilemmas of the world. And how is God going to do that? Well, He's going to do it in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the best news ever. This, hear me, is the Gospel. God is not going to sit and allow His world to live darkened. God's not going to allow it to be damaged by sin and deceived and broken. So He's going to intervene. He's going to intervene in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a radical thought that is. How will He do it? Through Jesus. But you think about it. Jesus, the, uh, the, the, the human male being. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. His, his human father was a, a carpenter. And his mother, of course, was Mary. This real human being. This real man. You could see him. You could hear him. You could reach out. And you could have, you could have touched him in his day. He really was a human being. But Mark would say something like, but, but, don't, you, but don't you understand? This Jesus of Nazareth, He wasn't just a man. He wasn't, he, he wasn't just a carpenter's son. He wasn't just from Nazareth. Listen, He was the Messiah. Who had ever thought that this is the One that all the prophets had talked about? That the Jesus of Nazareth, He is the wonderful Counselor that Isaiah would have prophesied some 400 years ago. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. He comes carrying all of the hope of humanity. All of the promises and the predictions of the, promise, of the prophets. It's almost hard this morning to wrap our minds around it. This isn't just the hope of Israel. It isn't, it's the hope of all of humanity. This is the hope of the world. But Mark's not done. Mark says that he is. this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was full man and He was fully God. This is the preexistent One in human flesh. This is the Creator. This is the Sovereign One. This is the Almighty God. That is His message. 
It is the Gospel. It is the epicenter of our faith because there could be only one solution. God Himself needed to come in the form of a man. See this second Adam that, that, that Paul would later talk about. The first Adam, Adam and Eve, they took of the forbidden fruit, right? And they damned everybody. The fall of man, every mankind died. and they, they, they died in sin. Passed down upon every generation through the male seed bloodline. Every single person, they're shaping in iniquity, David tells us. All of us are, are born in sin. And so that first Adam affected everybody. And so there needed to be a second Adam. And that second Adam had to be God Himself. It had to be Jesus, the Son of God. He had to be perfect. Because if He would have lived without being God, listen, He would have sinned just like every single one of us. Have and do. But He was the self-existent, perfect, sovereign God Himself, Jesus. That is a way in which the whole message of the Gospel is in these 12 words. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There is hope for us. Because God's ultimate answer is not to give us a set of principles. Not to give us a set of rules. Not to give us wise philosophy. God's uh, design wasn't just to give us a moral code to live by. Listen to me. God's ultimate answer is to give us Himself in the person of Jesus. You want to know what God's greatest gift to you is? God. God's greatest gift is God. It is Himself. But I'm afraid, and I know it's true for me, these words have become all too familiar to us. B.B. Warfield writes this, one of the dangers, listen, of theological education is that the radical glories of the Gospel just become so familiar to you that you lose your sense of awe. And in losing your sense of awe, you lose your thankfulness. And in losing your thankfulness, you lose your worship. And in losing your worship, you're just one step from idolatry where are you this morning have you lost your awe have you lost the amazing realities of the gospel of what you were prior to Christ and the new birth that you find in him have you lost that would you please ask yourself that question I realize that I'm not the greatest speaker in the world. I understand that. But where the first 10 minutes of this message is like, okay, all right. God gave me Himself. Ryan, you say that like every other week. Have you lost your awe? Does it no longer excite you? Does it no longer get you just revved up and pumped up? Wow, that God would love me so much that He'd give me Himself. He would give me His Son, Jesus Christ. And with the quickness that we're going to find that the book of Mark has. Mark then rushes to the shores of the Jordan River. He starts off, hey, introduction to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then we see in verse number 2, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, 
make his paths straight. So Mark begins to just kind of introduce the, the, the movement that's kind of going towards, um, towards John. Kind of the, the, words of, the, the words of Isaiah. Isaiah had predicted that there would be one, that a prophet would be raised up who would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And John the Baptist, he does that in two different ways. First, he's preaching the message of repentance and forgiveness of their sins. The very message that Jesus was going to preach and fulfill on the cross some 33 or some several years later, about three, three years or three and a half years later. But he was the one preaching this. He was his forerunner. Isaiah had prophesied of that. And then also, he literally was the one that was preparing the way for him. He was the one that said, hey, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, John 1.29. So he fulfilled the, the prophecy that Isaiah had had. But I want you to see what the words say after this. Look at verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. What a strange human being. I mean, think about that. What, a, what an interesting account that Mark, uh, Mark gives us here. Why are we told that this man has a vegan diet and this guy dresses like a weirdo? Why are we told that? What is... What is in this account? Well, I want you to think about this. This is the one that, again, God had raised up to begin to point us to Jesus Christ. He was going to begin to point us to the Son of God, to begin to point us to the Messiah, to the, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is now alive, and he is, he, he's working, he was a carpenter himself, but now it's time for his earthly ministry. But John's been preaching him. This weirdo. Why, why would he do that? Why would this wild and woolly prophet be out in the wilderness? Wouldn't you have thought if there was going to be a messenger of the coming of God's Son, don't you think it would have been a, maybe a chief priest? Or maybe a Pharisee? Or maybe a prominent scribe? Or a Sadducee? Or maybe someone in the religious world? Don't you think God's like, hey, I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to use a preacher that's going to announce my son, but he's going to be a, a vegan, and he's going to wear weird clothing. Notice the movement of the people. They're coming out of Judea. They're coming out of, they're coming out of Jerusalem. They're coming away from the temple. They're coming out into the wilderness to hear the message of repentance and confession of sin and forgiveness. Listen, everybody prior up to that, they would have been going to these places for that. They would have been going to the temple to sacrifice. And God is using this man with a diet that is, you know, is a little different. Nothing wrong with it. But he dresses little, you know, camel's hair and loincloth around. And he's using him to bring him to bring calling people. This amazing movement is coming out to where John is at. You need to understand, listen to me, you need to understand how radical this is. There is in the ministry of John the Baptist a stinging indictment of the religious order of the day. You see what had taken over was, a, was an externalism and it was killing people. It was, all about, it was all about the outside. 
And as God raises someone outside of the religious system of the day, someone outside of this deadening externalism, someone outside of the spiritual pride that was rampant amongst the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, to call people once again to what every human being needs to do. To confess how deep their sin is and to seek the one thing that you cannot earn. And that is forgiveness. The religion of the day was riddled with theological pride and behavior transformation and modifications. Maybe one of the reasons we're told about John's garments is while the Pharisees were getting rich robes of righteousness that they didn't even want to literally touch the, 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 the diseased and, and the despised people around there. What a contrast between John the Baptist and his description of what he wore. Camel's hair and with a girt of skin about his loins. And they let us know about his diet. What a contrast. Can I read Isaiah chapter 1 for you? These will be up on the screen here. What purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams. Are we doing okay this morning? We're good? Burnt rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of the goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts, bring no more vain oblations. Or here's, here's, here's what Isaiah is saying. Bring no more just empty ritualistic sacrifices unto me. It's just empty. There's, there's, there's nothing behind it. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the, the calendar that you would keep, the calling of assemblies, I cannot, or I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. We're told why this is the case later in the book, in Isaiah 29.13, Wherefore, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught, by the precepts of men. I do not believe that you and I can read Mark's account without hearing its warning. Let's be honest, my friends. The externalism is not dead in Christianity. The focusing on the outside, it's not dead. And if I may be so bold, I remember preparing this message. I told Mike, I said there's going to be, we're going to start the series with some heavy punches. We ready? All right. If I can be so bold as to propose that perhaps the externalism still exists even in the confines of Redwood. Oh, how we, or I can say it better yet, we can sing with such enthusiasm, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who was blind, who was a wretch like me, is blind, and now I can see, and yet I can be an ungracious father. I can be an ungracious husband. We can explain the theology of the love of God, and yet we can live selfish, me-oriented, unloving lives, stepping over human need and those that are in need. We can talk about the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to our account in the very weak look at internet pornography. We can talk about reconciliation to God and be willing to live in broken relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. We can talk about the sovereignty of God and how God can control it and we can know all the theology. We can know all of the Bible, but we try to move ourselves into control 
of situations and circumstances. And we, lo- we live our days in worry. You see, here what I'm about to say, the heart of our faith must not be our theological knowledge. It must not be external Christian habits. Please hear me. It must be a heart that loves and worships the Lord Jesus and is ruled by Him in all the situations and all of the relationships of our daily lives. Could it be, church, don't get mad at me, let me ask a question. Could it be that God would say to some of us, enough of your hymns and songs. Enough of your worship. Enough of your offerings. Enough of your buying of another Christian book. They are an abomination to me because you honor me with your lips. But your heart is far from me. Listen to me, it is a radical picture here of God turning His back on that system. And it's Him saying, that system will never lead to redemption because that system is not dependent upon Me, He would say. There is such a thing as Christless Christianity. Priceless Christianity. My prayer is that God will take this this series and and the soberness of clearly how we started and it would permeate the seats. That it would permeate the hearts that we don't just do church. That we don't just check off another box, guys. And I I put my time in. No. But that worship would be our, I think this was our, would be our lifestyle. Every moment of every day, we're cognizant of Jesus. And then Mark just moves right along to his message, verse 7, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. For all the notoriety of John, Mark would have made us think that this man had established this amazing reputation. He tells us in verse 5 that you know all of the people are coming from out of the land of Judea and out of Jerusalem. They're all coming to this man. And you've got this great movement towards this man who's John. But John, he realized his position. He realized who he was. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm not the mighty one. He's saying, I'm not the answer. I'm not... The one that is the one that's going to come after me. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that can actually give you what you need. There's one who's going to come after me. He's going to be full of all wisdom. He's going to be full of all love. He's going to be full of all grace. He's going to be able to give you what you absolutely need, and that is forgiveness. And that's going to come from repentance of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. And He is the one. Behold, the Lamb of God, John said in John 1, which taketh away the sin of the world. And we have these these sweet, humble words from the man of John. He says, I'm not worthy to even untie this man's sandals. Listen to me. This is a cultural reference. The master of the house, whenever he would would enter into his home, the lowest of the servants, sometimes, listen to me, sometimes it was the slave of the servants. Many of the servants would also have a personal slave or a or, or, or more of a, a servant and what they would do is they would run to the door they would come to the master's feet they would unlatch his sandals and clean the dirty nasty 
disgusting feet of a man that would have been walking in just dirt all the time. It's a little bit different in our day. So put yourself in the culture and the lowest of lows in the home. I realize we're all created in Jesus. I'm just preaching the culture to you. The lowest of lows in, in that home would go and they would clean that feet. And you know what John's saying? John's saying, this mightier one that's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to do that. Not even worthy. This is a prophet speaking. This is the one that Isaiah said he's going to come and he's going he's to proclaim Jesus to everyone. A prophet is speaking. He's saying, I am not even worthy to unlatch the shoes on this mightier one. He's already been recognized by so many. They're flocking out of the cities to him. And he's saying, listen, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. You could say it this way. The only way we will ever be in our proper place is if Jesus is first in his proper place. Is Jesus in his proper place for you? Is he? I hope you're not looking for me to be the hero. Let me confess before you, often I am in first place in my life. My wants, my desires, my schedule. It's Jesus first. I want you to listen to the statement, humility is the product of worship. Humility is the product of worship. John knows what he is. He knows it's not about him. He knows it's not his story. It's not his moment. It's Christ's moment. And then he says something glorious. Verse 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. John's baptism was simply just a preparation. It was a sign of what was to come. But it was limited to a water baptism. And he said, the one who comes will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying that this one will deal with the ultimate damage of sin. What does sin bring? Sin brings death. And this one, Jesus, the the, the Jesus Christ, the the, the Son of God, the beginning of this Gospel, by His Spirit, He's going to give you life. And that's why when someone gets baptized, I'd encourage you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've not been baptized, let's schedule that. You acknowledge the death, the burial, and the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and I, we become dead to sin. We trust Christ and we receive forgiveness of our sins. And in that, we are then given life. The newness of life is in us. This introductory to the ministry of Christ, I'll be honest with you, it's like a great knife that slices its way through the middle of humanity. Because if you believe these words, you believe these words of the Savior who will give you your new life, guess what? It'll change you. It changes everything about your life. It becomes the single most important thought in pursuit of your existence. If you will believe the, the, the words here of Mark, who is just expressing John's words, it defies the way that you think about yourself. Oh, I've got to be all like the Pharisees. And John was like, it ain't about me. 
It's all about Jesus. And our prayer, our prayer here at Redwood is that everything we do, that those core values would be literally interwoven through everything that we do, but that everything would be about Jesus, that it's not about us. It's not about our team that, that leads us in corporate worship. Listen, that's all that is. It's corporate singing. We're going to continue to worship as we go out these doors. But that it would all be about one name. That name being Jesus. Or, Ryan, this is silly talk. The stuff, <laughs> this is, I can't believe this about Jesus. Can I ask you this morning or this afternoon now, you've listened so well, what are you going to do with Jesus? Have you placed your faith in Him? If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to listen very, very, very carefully. In a moment here, I'm going to turn this service over to Mike, and I'm going to go down to the back. I'm going to beg you. I'm going to plead with you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed here in a moment, I'm going to plead with you to come to the back. I'm going to give you the time. I want to show you from the Word of God how you can place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. But if you're a believer, do you live by faith in Him? Does that belief in Jesus shape the way that you think about your marriage, about your parenting, about your life and ministry, at the university, on your job? Do the radical claims of the Gospel of Jesus Christ move you anymore? Do they motivate you? Sometimes in the the back halls of conversations that pastors have, sometimes we begin to think, man, if I could just go back to the legalistic way of doing things and just control people, we think it would be easier. Then the Holy Spirit says, don't you dare! I'm just, I, just, I just uncovered the, the blind sometimes pastors' conversations, okay? Praise God, the Holy Spirit's winning. Hallelujah. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to give you Jesus again. I'm trying to give you a nice fresh dosage of Him this morning so that you can go out this week and you can just revel in what you've got in the Gospel. Do you come with a great sense of need when we worship, when we gather together, or are we just checking off a box? Could it be that, our, that we've lost our, our awe or this, the, the, this amazement? And if that is the case, then I believe you need to confess that to the Lord here in a moment. Confess that you've gotten too used to it. Confess that you need to be reminded once again of the, the nuances of the Gospel. May God help us to celebrate the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And may that celebration not just be with the theology, that we embrace, and with hymns and songs that we sing, but with every word, thought, desire, and decisions of our lives. Quick hitter here. He just goes on. Boom, boom, boom. He just totally goes over the, uh, the, 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 the birth, just the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Next week, Jesus gets thrown right into temptation. And we're going to see His ministry of temptation for you. He went through it for you. Next week, we're going to see how everything that He did through that temptation was substitutionary for you. It's going to be all about Jesus. Let's pray.